Uh, if you're visiting today, we are looking at the book of John. We're coming near the end of the book of John. We've moved from the Olivet Discourse, I mean the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Last Supper Discourse, to uh, now we see Jesus' own trial. And uh, so I want you to turn with me uh, as we look at our text. Uh, let me just say one word of note for you that are astute. You'll notice uh, there are two uh, high priests here. There's Annas. And then there is Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the son-in-law of Annas. Annas was the recognized religious uh, high priest of the Jews, okay? Very important because Jesus is going to stand before them. Uh, And Caiaphas is the high priest set up by the Roman government to carry out uh, uh, civil issues. And, and of course, ultimately he is crucified under the Roman government. And so just be aware of that as uh, we look at our text today. So the band of soldiers and their captains and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And first they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus and, did, and so did another disciple. And since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door, and so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of these men's uh, disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter also was with him, standing and warming himself. And the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with a hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I have said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it, and he said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the gospel that it reveals uh, the hope of man, uh, the glory of who Christ is and what he has come to do and accomplish on our behalf. Uh, Father, there are those this morning who need to hear from you. Uh, Perhaps they don't know you and they've never by your spirit heard the gospel, the music of the gospel. 
And so, Father, I pray that uh, they would be engaged, that they would hear your word, and that you would speak to them. And, Father, I pray for those who are believers uh, who are here uh, this morning, uh, whether they're members here or maybe they're visiting today, and life is not easy. Uh, It could be an uh, an older person uh, like myself. Perhaps uh, they've discovered their health is going south this week or a young father trying to provide for his family or a single uh, girl uh, who longs uh, to uh, marry. Uh, Father, whatever the circumstances are, I pray that you would speak to your people. Uh, Father, for apart from you opening our ears, we can't see. And apart from you opening my mouth, everything I say is ultimately vain. And so be with us now as we look to your word and look to the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, My Aunt Mamie uh, was uh, one, uh, was my mother's sister. And she had a child late in life. She was in her early 40s. And so my mother uh, would help Aunt Mamie by having Vance stay with us in the afternoons. And so I would come home from high school, grab a peanut butter sandwich, and uh, there uh, Vance would be, and he'd be watching uh, Sesame Street. And, uh, of course, that was the only channel to watch back then, kids. You didn't have 900 channels, so you're stuck with Sesame Street. But as it may be, so I would sit down with Vance and, uh, and uh, watch Sesame Street with Vance. And, of course, you know, Sesame Street um, educated a generation of children. Maybe some of y'all remember Sesame Street, Grouch, uh, Oscar the Grouch. I remember Oscar. That's the one I can relate to. Uh, you know, so you had uh, Oscar the Grouch, and you had Big Bird, and you had, um, oh, yeah, one of my favorite was Count Von Count. Remember Count Von Count? Um, now, I don't know if you remember Ernie. Do you remember Ernie? Ernie's job was uh, to teach us which thing's not like the other. And they'd have this little jingle, which thing's not like the other. And, uh, and uh, so Vance and I, we would try to guess, guess them together. And I was backfilling my education after I was in high school trying to... <clears throat> and uh, so, you know, so three balloons, four balloons would come up. Four were blue. I mean, three were blue and one was red. And Vance would go, the red one. I'm like, you're right. I think that's right. Uh, you know... Uh, Three pairs of shoes and a hat. Which thing's not like the other? Uh, three cows and a pig. And, um, you know, I've come to appreciate Ernie because I think it helped me later in my theological education by making a distinction between Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and, and Episcopalians. <laughs> but, but the reason I, it's kind of interesting is I was studying for this text and I was getting ready for the sermon going over it and over it, and look at the text around it. What, what is this text saying? I don't want to spiritualize the text. Like, for instance, uh, some of the commentators I read that Jesus, uh, Peter's following it at a distance. And so, oh, so this is why we get in trouble, is we follow Jesus at a distance. Now, I think it's just describing how far Peter is. Okay? So we have to be faithful for the text or what the text has to say because the only thing that's going to change you is the text and the gospel that's found in the text. And, um, but I started thinking of, uh, I started thinking about Ernie and Sesame Street, and, and, and as I started thinking about the difference in the comparison between Peter and between Jesus, uh, because we have this, this person who is a faithful witness, 
It's very clear in our text. And I want you to, to see Jesus standing before a kangaroo court and how he conducts himself in comparison with Peter. He said, Lord, though I'll never forsake you, is a faithless friend in a time of need. Okay, now unless you think I'm going to sit here and beat up on Peter and say don't be like Peter, be like Jesus. I don't think John is throwing Peter under the bus. And, uh, and of course, another little side note, it talks about the other disciples. Some people believe it was John that was inside John, and so John records it. <clears throat> I don't know. I tend to think it was probably another disciple, if you saw it. There was another disciple there that knew the high priest, apparently, lets Peter in. doesn't really matter. It <clears throat> doesn't really matter uh, a whole lot here. But, uh, but, but John knew that Peter loved Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. And he knew that Peter had followed Jesus. He saw the things that Peter was willing to do, like step out on the, on the water when the others are sitting in the boat. And so the goal is not here to throw Peter uh, under the, the bus. But as you reflect on Peter's warming himself by the fire in the courtyard of Annas the high priest... Because it's a cold night, right? He's there, and they're all gathered around, and they're warming themselves. It's springtime. Uh, Jerusalem is about two or 3,000 feet up above sea level, and it's cold. And think about Jesus giving an account before this kangaroo court, probably freezing cold. And you begin to see the distinction that's there. But here is the point I think that John tries to make in this text, and this account is in all four Gospels. You need to all read all of them. I mean, I wish it, it was the one where Jesus looks at, at Peter and, and when the cock crows and he, and he weeps. It's not there. But I think what John is trying to say, and he wants to say to all of us, and, and, and I'm going to address you as, if you're not a Christian today, but he's trying to address to all of us as Christians that we are not the point of the story. John, Peter is not one of the fantastic, now kids help me out, I, I, I forgot to ask a kid, is it the Fantastic Four or the Fantastic Five? Four, thank you Jack, Jack one of my elders. <laughs> okay Jack. Uh, so, so Peter, listen, he's not one of the Fantastic Four. You see, the, the, the gospel along with the whole scripture, is that Jesus is the hero of the story. You got that? He's the hero of history. And when we find ourselves getting uh, into trouble, it's when we try to make ourselves part of the story. Whether it's our faithfulness or our commitment or our tithing or or whatever it, it may be. And friends, this is what makes Christianity unique. And if you're not a Christian, let me just say something to you as, as a Christian. Christianity, <clears throat> we're not here to be taught to be better people. That's fine. Some of you are nicer than others, but so are some dogs. Right? Some, people are just, some dogs are just nice. They don't bite you. In fact, maybe the godliest person in here is the person who's mean, but, but yet they're, <laughs> they're looking to Jesus. <laughs> Okay, just because you're nice means nothing. 
And so if you're not a Christian that's here, uh, what we want to say to you that the Christian faith is unique in the sense that it's saying that everyone needs grace. Everyone needs Jesus to be the hero because down deep we know that reaching up to God uh, is kind of like uh, how far do you have to reach? What do you need to be doing? And even if you're a secular person and you say, I'm not a religious person, yes, you are because you are trying to live by somebody's standards. And it doesn't bring peace and it doesn't bring joy. But you see, to understand the gospel and to know the comparison between Jesus Christ and the, the Peter, who is a faithful, um, he loves Jesus. He fails Jesus. But the difference is that the gospel of God is, the, is one-handed grace that he reaches down and takes those who are dead in their trespasses and sin, and he makes them alive, and he continues to work in us. It is not about reforming yourself. No, Christian, let me tell you. If you're wondering, why is my life going south? Why are things so hard for me? Why is my marriage not what I want it to be? Why are my children the way they are? Or why are my parents not understand me? Or what my boyfriend, my girl, whatever it may be. You see, Jesus is the one who understands. And he is the one who cares. He is the one that's faithful. So that Paul says in 2 Timothy, if you deny him, he will deny you. But if you're faithless, yet he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself because there's a one-handed grace. Okay, so here, here, here's kind of, uh, here's the theme of what I want to say, and I only have two points, and then some application. If we are to know the fullness of joy in the Christian life, and I really believe God wants that for you. I mean, after all, it says the fruit of the, the Spirit is love and joy. Joy, joy, no matter what your circumstances are. Because even if they're good and you have joy right now, that man, that can change on the dime. That can change this week. Two, I just Thursday, two of my best friends growing up died. Dick Norris and Robert Wynn. Same day. One I found out in the morning, it changed. On a dime. But no matter what the circumstances, good or bad, that joy in the Christian life is when we quit seeking to establish our own righteousness, to prove ourselves faithfulness, because that is a denial of the very gospel that's to bring you joy. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not telling you to be bad. I'm not saying, oh, I'm saved by grace. Therefore, I can live like I want to. Because some of you are doing that. You take grace very lightly. But grace is to lead to holiness. And you know what holiness leads to? Obedience. You know what obedience leads to? It leads to joy. <laughs> there is no joy in being disobedient. There is no joy in not living by faith. Now, think about high school kids, or some of you in college teachers. You've been here for a year, or maybe you've been here for two years. Let me ask you, have you found any joy in doing what you want to do? No, it always comes back as a boomerang. But you know what real joy is? Real joy is knowing that though we're faithless, yet he remains faithful. Now, so, so I want us to, to look at the comparison between Peter and what he does in, in that courtyard. And what we can learn from Peter in that courtyard and what we can learn from Jesus, who was in court. 
And so that's how I want us to think about the comparison is really ultimately their motivation. So what is the, the motivation of Peter and what is the motivation of Jesus? And then what is the application? Well, the motivation uh, of Peter. What, what, what motivated Peter, right? Why did he do this? Why did he go in there? Well, frankly, I think we can identify in many ways with Peter. Does anybody doubt that Peter loved Jesus Christ? You know anything about Peter? Jesus wanted to seek to honor Christ. I believe that. But Jesus warned him, don't do that. (laughs) Because the scripture says everyone will be scattered. All the disciples. That is a prophecy in scripture that all the disciples would run away. But Peter says, not me. And guys, I want you you to know something. I really think (laughs) that he believed that. Just like maybe some of us do. Maybe one of my pastors does or or I do. You know, Lord, I want to be faithful to you. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, uh, you leave a retreat and you go, man, I got it now. Woo-hoo. And within, uh, you know, about that afternoon, you're, you know, yelling at your kids. You want to be. But you see, what, where we get into trouble is when we begin to operate out of the flesh. We begin to say, okay, Lord, this is what you've done. Now I'm going to show how faithful I am. And then you know what you want to do? You want to make yourself part of the story. And when you end up being like that, you know what you do to everybody around you? You discourage the heck out of them. Because you're self-righteous. Right? And so as we look at, at Peter's motivation... You know, what led him into the courtyard? Well, John, done, it, John doesn't exactly tell us, but I just want to look at a couple of those things and then see where it kind of trips you up. And then I want to look at the motivation of Jesus and then close. Well, what took him into that courtyard? Well, first off, I think we've kind of already hit on it, and that is this. Jesus called Peter. And I'll tell you, let me tell you the followers of Christ are in this room right now. Not people who got a redeemer, not people who know reformed theology, not people who know a lot of stuff, but people who Jesus calls. Got it? Leave your nets. And he leaves. And you can tell the difference, can't you, sometimes? Those who give off an aroma of life, you're a Christian and you give off life and people smell it, or else it's an aroma of death to the unbelievers because you're so different. But you see, if you have no smell, you're the, what I call the no smell Christian. You don't smell good or bad. You know what I'm saying? No smell Christian. Nobody knows one way or the other. But Peter is called, and he leaves his nets, and he follows Jesus. And so that's why he does it there. He's trying to maintain. And, of course, at the end of the the Gospels, we see that uh, Peter is restored, uh, and he continues that pursuit. And ultimately, he is, according to tradition, he's hung upside down on a cross so that we might believe the Gospel. Very transformed man. And so he goes. Well, that's the first thing. Second thing. Um, I think he went out of his uh, uh, loyalty to Jesus. I mean, I've never met a person that knows Jesus Christ or a woman that, that I think really knows Christ, and that's not their desire. Man, it always bothers them. They feel like they're not loyal. It bothers them that they felt like they haven't been the faithful witness. 
But I think he goes in because he lost Christ and he's loyal to Christ. And so he goes. Even though Jesus said, don't go. Yeah, but you're going to deny me. Yeah, I'm going to warn you, if you do what you think you want to do, it's not going to work out well with you. And so he goes. He's loyal. Or maybe uh, he was presumptuous about going. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus, uh, 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 Peter says to Jesus, though all fall away, I- I'm not going to fall away. If they all fall away, I'm not. Was it love that took him into the courtyard? I think so. Was it some of these other things that, that I've spoken of? Yeah, but at the same time, he's presumptuous. And we'll see why in, in, in just a moment. But we don't really completely know the reasons that he went in there. But what can we learn from Peter's motivation? And that is that no matter how sincere we think we might be, if we seek to prove to others our commitment to Jesus Christ, rather than simply be near to him, then we will be defeated people. I'm going to be faithful. Well, okay, he's faithful. Well, I'm going to be faithful. And then you find yourself uh, not so much. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, what it means to be a Christian is not a warmed-over moralism. Maybe, maybe you've been coming to Redeemer for a couple of months. You're going, man, I really, hey, I'm, I'm kind of hearing some things here. And, uh, and uh, I really believe that they believe this stuff. And they're giving good intellectual reasons for believing this stuff. And I'm going to reform my life and I'm going to get better and I'm going to be a better husband, etc., etc. No, 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 no. It's not warmed-over moralism. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. And we saw that in John 15, that if you're in Christ and you're abiding in the vine, the Father will come and he will prune you, not reform you. And he prunes you in order that you might bear more fruit. And so we see Peter here getting a, a bit pruned. Right? The Christian life is the life of faith, not our efforts to be faithful. We put our faith in him, not our faithfulness. To put your faith in your faith is called a fideism, rather than saying, Lord Jesus, are you serious you're still going to love me? (laughs) He's like, of course I will. And then the fruit of the Spirit begins to work in you. Because you're forgiven and you're loved, you're accepted, he's patient with you. You really want to know whether you're kind of like Peter in, in the garden, you're going to find out whether you're going to deny him or not, is, is just look at the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Do we have the fruit of the Spirit? Now look, when I say that, there's nobody perfect. I'm not perfect. My wife, I'm glad she's in the nursery. I, I'm free to say some of these things. Like, yeah, he's really a loving, joyful man. Uh, that's right, she can hear me over the intercom. Well, anyhow, I love you, dear. Um, but you, but you see, you, you see, the flesh is the flesh is the flesh. In me, and though he's sincere, he's not operating based on the word of God, but he's operating based on his sincerity. And that's a wonderful thing. But sincerity is not the gospel. The gospel is Christ and what he has done. 
So what is the, what, what is the end result for Peter? And then we have to look at, at Jesus, and then we, we need to c- conclude here. But Well, first off, um, what leads us ultimately to denying him? Uh, even though we want to be sincere. Well, I don't, I don't want to hit all of these, but I just uh, will hit on a couple. First, he's defeated because ultimately he did take the easier way than Jesus did, didn't he? Well, can we all agree to that? I, I will die for you. I will die for you. I will lay my life down for you. Man, I'm committed to Jesus Christ. And you know what? He denies him. You know why? Because uh, in, in the moment when reality hit, the providence of God, he finds out just how frightened he is. Just how he's not the disciple. He should be. And friends, I want that to be an encouragement to you. Listen, give up on trying to be more spiritual than other people. Oh, we need to go talk to uh, so-and-so because, man, they have a lot of wisdom and da-da-da. Well, then I said, well, well wait a minute. Uh, you, you, you need to go to that person because they, they can point you to Jesus Christ, not because they appear to everybody to be the most spiritual person in the world. Now, sometimes those two things go hand in hand. Uh, but when the heat comes on, we see that Je- uh, Peter, uh, while Jesus is making profession, he is denying everything that he's heard. You, you got that? But not only that, he panicked. I mean, I'm sure he went in there thinking, no, you know, I'm going to be near to Jesus and prove it, and, uh, and I can just slide there in the dark, and I can, I can stick by the boast I made. Because, you see, he's a little bit trapped, isn't he? Because he told everybody, oh, these guys. Well, you know, because it's about Peter, Peter has to stick by his profession. And so he does. And then all of a sudden, a light goes on, and boom, there's Peter exposed, and everybody freaks out. I mean, he freaks out. Another reason is he didn't know himself. I mean, Peter, what do you not understand about you walk on the water, and then you look around, and you sink? What, what is it that, why would you think that wouldn't happen again? And then finally, why don't you believe that you're, uh, Jesus is smarter than you because Jesus told him not to do it? He's like, uh, Jesus, you, no, I, I understand what's going on here. Okay, so, yeah, so listen, take heed lest you fall. The most, I'll tell you the person in this room right now who is the one who's in the most danger is the one who thinks they don't need grace like the person sitting next to them. You think your wife needs more grace than you do? then you'll never bear the fruit of the Spirit. You think your husband needs more grace than you do because you're better than your husband? You will ne- never bear the fruit of the Spirit. You see, part, the, part of this is to teach us that we need Christ. Well, so what is the motivation of Jesus? Y- y'all see the mixed up motivations, kind of sincere but not sincere, kind of good but not good, kind of loving but not loving? Kind of courageous, but not really. But here we have Jesus. And Jesus, and I put the part where he's led out of the garden. I tell you why I want to put that. You know, he's bound when he comes out of the garden. He's not dragged out of that garden. Adam was dragged out of the garden. He was cast out. Jesus was let out. He was let out. He was bound. You know why he was bound? Because Isaac was bound. 
But God promised Abraham there'd be a greater than Isaac. But I'm not going to unbind him. Do you know when they took Jesus out, they took him through the, uh, out, uh, the, uh, 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 the garden, they took him through the sheep gate. Hmm. Bound sheep. You think Jesus couldn't have been like Samson, burst those bounds, calm down the angels on all of us? And I'll tell you what, when you, when you start believing that you deserve there's curse and wrath of God, then you'll start appreciating the Lamb of God bound and led to the slaughter. But unlike the lambs in the Old Testament, they didn't know what was coming. This lamb knew. And he stays. And he's courageous. And so there he is before a kangaroo court. And we see his motivation. Uh, and the result of his motivation, you know what his motivation is? If I didn't believe this, I, I couldn't be a minister. Because I couldn't get up here. Is he loves you. You believe that? He loves you. You say, but, but I was looking at some things on the internet I shouldn't have been looking at last night. Well, you sure you shouldn't have been loving, uh, looking at that last night. But do you think before the foundations of the world that God doesn't know that? I'm glad that we have men support groups and, and uh, other support groups or people who are struggling with these things. But maybe you're, I, I hope to some degree you know you're struggling so that you would look to Jesus who's bound on your behalf. And so here's these. He's at kangaroo court. Time does not allow me to tell you what a ridiculous situation it is, but it is the ecclesiastical court, this meeting at night, this against the rules of the Old Testament. Now let me tell you what you learn about Jesus in that. Jesus knew it was wrong. You know why? Because he knew the scriptures. And he calls them out. But here's the big difference. And, and here, here's, so he's honorable, he's prepared. He says, listen, I did everything in public. I'm not, I'm not some guru uh, cult leader. I was in the temple. I was in the synagogues. I went to where all the Jews, where they were taught, and I taught publicly, you know these things, where's my accuser? And by the way, they could, they, the, the only way they could have court is if the person had his witnesses there to testify for him. Where were the witnesses? And notice what Jesus doesn't say. Well, go get Lazarus. He said, you not believe my word? The word? He said, oh, if Lazarus were raised, I'd believe. If I saw some of these miracles, then I wouldn't be doubting all the time. Let me tell you, they were trying to kill Lazarus after they saw him raised. You will not believe. Unless God Almighty calls you to himself and has mercy upon you, where you start looking to Jesus and rest in him and rest in him alone. And I will tell you, when you begin to experience the love of Jesus, it will begin to mesmerize your life. I really believe that, sinner that you are and I am. I had somebody tell me, they said, I'm just really struggling with this. I just, and I, they're 30-something years old. I said, okay, well, I get it. I understand. But let me ask you one question. When's the last time you read your Bible? When's the last time you read your Bible? They hadn't read their, they hadn't read their Bible in six months. You try to do that with anything and see how long you'll live. But you see, Jesus was ready because he studied and he prepared. He disciplined himself for us. 
And he had no doubts other than, the reality, other than saying, Father, is there another way for that person on the fifth row back there with the blonde hair or the bald-headed guy back there? Is there another way for them not to experience the curse and wrath that you down deep know you deserve? And if you don't know that, you'll never know Jesus. And he, said, and, and he says, Father, is there another way? And he, and, and he loves the Father, and the Father loves us. He said, there's no other way. So he's there. He's an innocent lamb. He's given an account. He's prepared. He's ready because we're not. Oh, please. Please. Jesus is always ready. He's ready right now for you. He's ready to save you from your sin. He's ready to say, hey, put down your dastardly good deeds and come to me. Oh, oh, my, my dear friends, I can't tell you my burden. My burden is that you don't stand before God one day and, and heard all the preaching but never believed. And never said, you know what, I'm resting in Christ. You know, I tell you, God is much more honored by a person who struggled with abortion and pornography and adultery than he ever will be with all those people who were basically decent Christian people but never loved anybody. You see, to, to, to know Christ and to know yourself and to know he loves you, that's exactly why Peter tried at any rate, but he did it in the flesh. But you see, Jesus' effort is absolutely perfect. I, I'm, not, I'm not mad at you. I'm sorry, no, I'm, I'm even surprising myself. Uh, but, but you see, I want you to know Jesus. I want, I, want, I want you to be, you husbands, would you please be nicer and kinder, more courageous? But you can't do it in the flesh. You can only do it if you're near Jesus. i got to conclude. I'm going to tell a story that I think I've told years ago about a Mississippi boy named Wilson Benton. Maybe some of y'all heard. I think he's one of the greatest preachers we've ever had, and he's elderly now. And, um, but he tells a story, and, and I conclude on this, because I think it, it just pulls it all together. Wilson, when he was about five years old, he lived in Mississippi, in Cleveland, Mississippi. And he grew up with a godly mother, godly father. He had godly parents. But it was on a Sunday morning, and Wilson was, was all dressed up to go to Sunday school. And, and his mama said, now, now, Wilson, you stay in the living room. Don't go outside. But he always liked to go outside. So he goes outside, and he falls in a mud hole. And church is getting ready to start, and they got to leave in about five minutes. And his mother comes up, Wilson! And he comes out, and he's got tears, right? Because he disobeyed, and the sign of his disobedience was all over him. And his mother, he said, I'll never forget, she had this beautiful white frock dress, or I don't know what frock means, but it was a nice white dress. And you know what she does? She already knows he's repentant. She kneels down in that mud and hugs him. And you know what she does next? She goes back in the house, and she cleans him up, and she puts nice clothes on him. But you know what? She didn't have time to go change her clothes. And she went to church, and he said, he said, I'm going to forget this, that my mother was in church. Not explaining to anybody, I was a terrible little boy, but she just had mud all over her. And that transformed him. You got mud all over you. Matter of fact, you got 
muddy, nasty, deadly sin, poison, cursing through you. But Jesus said, just as the serpent was raised in the wilderness and all those who looked were immediately healed, you this morning can be healed of your dirty self-righteousness and your dirty unrighteousness and be set free. And you know what? He will always bring you into worship because he's gotten rid of your dirty rags. Oh, friends, come to Christ. And Christian. Christian, yeah, I, said, I, know, I know these things. Okay, okay, I do too. I, but lean into them. I don't know what your situation is. I know there's some terrible situations right now. And you're, you think God's forsaken you. You try to be a good Christian. You're doing the best you know how. You're doing all these things. But let me tell you, even if he kills you, he loves you. You just have to be willing to lose everything for Jesus. Because he's better than whatever it is you're worried about losing. Let's pray together. Father, um, thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, I confess before all these people, I know so little about what I preach about. Um, But Lord, I do know this. I want people to know Jesus. I pray for anybody who's not a Christian here today that they would begin to admit that they have hurt a lot of people and they're not guiltless and someone has to pay. And Father, for those who are believers uh, who've backslidden or whatever term you want to use, Lord, cause them to know that they just quit believing the gospel and you've already paid. So now we come into your presence in the Lord's table to receive all the benefits that get are given to those who receive them by faith. Bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen.